Well, it's so great to be with you today. So far, it's been an exciting day. I wonder if you could just do something for me before we get into the Word. Could you just stand on your feet if you are able, if you're comfortable doing that, and just look around you and look eyeball to eyeball at someone, choose someone, and just say, you are a glory to God. Okay, that's enough. You can sit down now. (laughs) I don't know. Give you a little moment and you take more. You know what they say, once you've, uh, you, there's the film, but you want to read the book. So we've just watched an incredible clip of an encounter of a man with Jesus. As a church, I know that you've been traveling through the Gospels, and you've been reading through the encounters that people have had with Jesus Christ, encounters that have transformed their lives, that have changed them, that have changed them forever. And this encounter is no different in that. And so if you've got a Bible with you, whether it's on your phone or anything, it's in John, and we're starting at chapter 5. I think I'll just start at one. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was a pool of Bethesda. Now, Bethesda means place of mercy or house of mercy, and this is where this pool that we've just seen is situated. It's covered with five porches, and crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on the porches. And one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for such a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said. I I have no one to put me into the pool. And when the water bubbles up, someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Okay, so the Jewish leaders, they objected and they said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The Lord does not allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But the man replied, the man who helped me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. But the man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, stop sinning. In other words, stop not believing me, or something worse will happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. There are three things I want to pull out of this message today that declares that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ was the embodiment of God as he walked on this earth. He wasn't just a nice man. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just simply the Son of God, but he was the manifest presence of Almighty God. And what we find in this story, this encounter, is that Jesus goes to a place that he knows really well. And one of the attributes of Almighty God is that he is all-knowing. He knows everything about everyone. He knows everything about place and time. In fact, there's a word for it, and it's called he's omniscient. 
And this is Jesus we're talking about. One of the attributes of God flows out of Jesus' life in this story. You see, Jesus knew before in chapter 1, if you, if you read John, he knew Nathaniel before he even met him. He knew the wine would run out at the wedding and that they, his, his mother would come to him and ask him for help. He knew in chapter 3 that Nicodemus had lots of questions and would come hide into him at midnight. He knew in chapter 4 that the Samaritan woman would be at the well and he knew all about her lifestyle and all about her men that she had had in her life. And here in chapter 5, he knows an unnamed man with an unnamed sickness at a pool in Bethesda. And what about you here today in this place? You know, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed as we've celebrated that every tribe, every tongue, every nation can gather together in unity and declare the goodness and the glory of God. But God knows you individually. Corporately, we give him praise and there is strength in that. But individually, when you are alone at night, God knows you. Jesus knows your thoughts. He knows your troubles. He knows your pain. He knows your hopes, your dreams. He knows every single thing about you, even the hair on your head. You know, there was one thing that um, just now I was asked, did I, did I need anything? And I think Pastor Nick said, do you need anything? I'm, no, I'm fine. Uh, but I could do with um, some hairspray because my hair's a bit fine today. But of course, you haven't got that in your bag, have you? No, Nick, you wouldn't. Sorry, I thought. <laughs> yeah, you just got that. But Jesus, first of all, what is he doing in Bethesda, at the pool of Bethesda? He's gone to Jerusalem, hasn't he? I thought I read that he's gone to Jerusalem because there's some, some religious festival going on. Well, Bethesda pool is not where the temple is. In fact, it's an unclean place. In fact, it's got its roots in pagan history rather than Jewish history. And there lay all the sick, all the or the, I must say it, the smelly people, because they were unclean, they were diseased, they were outcasts, they were misfits, they were failures, they were people that didn't want to, weren't welcome in society anymore. They were useless, they were unwanted, and people wanted them to be unseen because they were so unacceptable and undesirable. Yet we find our Lord Jesus Christ stooping down lowly to come and visit this place with these people that no one wants to know. Isn't that a reflection of God himself who sends his son down from the glory and the majesty of heaven down to this place on earth just so that he could get up close to us and show us his love and his mercy and his grace. So Jesus wasn't at the party. He wasn't at the festival in Jerusalem. He did a detour on purpose because everything that Jesus does is on purpose. In fact, he even enters through the sheep gate. Isn't that a clue that the shepherd that is looking for one just leaves the 99 because he's looking for one man, one unnamed man that's been sick at this pool with a hope that is lost for so long. He knew everything about him. He even knew how long he'd been there. And when I saw 38 years, many years ago, many years ago, when I was 38, I remember preaching this and thinking, oh, it's, it's relevant to me. But 38, there's another relevancy. You see, 
In Deuteronomy, and if you want to take notes, it's Deuteronomy 2.14 says this, 38 years had passed from the time we first left Kadesh Barnea until we finally crossed Zered the brook. By then, all the men old enough to fight in battle had died in the wilderness as the Lord had vowed would happen. Well, that means gobbledygook to you, doesn't it? But what it's saying is that for 38 years, after the spies had had sussed out the promised land. Two came back with a good report, Caleb and Joshua, remember them? But 10 of them came back with a negative report because they didn't believe that God had a promise for them. They didn't trust that God would deliver them. And so for 38 years, they then led a desert life. And what is a desert life? A desert life is where there is no growth. A desert life is where it is lonely, where it is harsh, where the, 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 the territory is so hostile. A, a desert life is something where you are hemmed in, where you are cut short, where you are confined, where you can no longer grow. And so I think that the 38 years that this man had been living such a life was a desert life, that Jesus was declaring the desert time is over because your Savior is here in your midst. I wonder, are you in a desert life right now? Are you in a place where you are feeling confined and hemmed in? I wonder if I could have my map. This is my gorgeous husband, Jason. We've been married 31 years, is it? He has to put up a lot with me. Oh, it's even got the tag on it. A few years ago, I was struck down by a sickness called ME, myalgic encephalitis. And almost overnight, I went from being active and vibrant and extremely busy with a full diary to I went to bed one night and I could not get up again. In fact, I didn't get up for four months. And then after that, it took me three years to gain my life back. And that for me was a desert season. You know, when you, when you go through a desert season, it could be something that has pushed you down, something that is just too much. And have you ever had a duvet day where you just want to stay with a duvet over your head and not see anyone, not speak to anyone. You don't want to see the light of day because you can't face it. And then the next day comes, and the next day comes, and then it's so hard to get up back into reality. And as you lay there, some of you can't see me so well now because you become unseen when life knocks you down, when stuff happens in your life whether it is sickness or whether it is broken relationships or broken promises or whether it is sin or whatever it is that has come along and knocked you off course and you start to lay down on your mat, on your bed, you start to become unseen. You start to become forgotten. And you start to forget the things that God has promised to touch your life with. You have forgotten the purposes and the plans that he has had for your life. But every time you start to get up, it's too hard. Because when you've been somewhere too long, your muscles become withered. And then it becomes harder and harder to get up. This man had been dead to the world for 38 years. When I had my ME, it was like I was cut off from the world for 38 years. Away from everyone. But for me, I got miraculously healed. 
And God who healed me that day is the same God that can heal this man then and heal you now. But we get stuck on our mats. We get paralyzed and we get crushed by the stuff that life throws at us. And it could be nothing of our own doing sometimes, and sometimes it is. But sometimes life is hard. And for some of us, as we've traveled through this season of pandemic, where maybe we've lost loved ones, we've lost jobs, or we've lost just hope, sometimes that could have felt like a crushing to our spirit and a crushing to our body. And maybe we're still walking around upright, but we feel like we're lying on that mat, and we just want to stay there because it's safe, because it's comfortable, because it's familiar. But you know, it's time to get up. You know, I just want to applaud you all for those that have come here for the first time since the pandemic. We really applaud you and we welcome you back into the house of God. But I want to ask you something today and don't turn to your neighbor. I want to ask you, what is it in your life that is holding you down, holding you back? confining you, stopping you to reach all the the promises that God has over your life? What is it that holds you crippled and paralyzed right now? You see, it says in Hebrews, (laughs) it says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Because Jesus knows. He knows your trauma. He knows your trouble. He knows your heart right now. And as he faces this man at this pool, Jesus comes along, breaks into his space, gets up to his face. This is pre-COVID because he didn't have a mask on. But his presence and his power and his glory is standing before this man. And he says to him, would you like to get well? You would think that he would say, yes, please. But he has been on that mat, traumatized for too long. Instead, he comes out with excuses. I can't. I haven't got anyone to get me in the pool. Um, I love it what it says on that video clip. I'm not asking who's helping. I'm not asking who's getting in your way. I'm asking, what about you? There are times in our lives where we're, we're knocked down, and maybe it's because... Other people have done stuff to us, and I'm not minimizing the pain that that causes. But there is one that we need to look to, and that is Jesus. And he pulls us back up from anything that has knocked us down. And he wants us to stand, and he wants us to stand strong. Why are you still knocked down today? Will you trust in Jesus that he will pick you up? Because the second attribute that Jesus displays in this story is that he is a healer. In other words, that he is all-powerful. In other words, that he is omnipotent. That is an attribute of God himself. But this man is stood before God Almighty. He stood before Jesus Christ, but he does not know him. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't know there was a better way than crawling his way to the pool. There was a better way than trying to fight off and compete against everyone else. Do you know that is not the heart of God? Do you know that in this story, if you look in your Bible, verse 4 is missing for a reason. 
because the story was the context, the backdrop to this story was that an angel, it was a tale, it was a folklore, it was a legend, it was a pagan story, that an angel would come now and then and stir up the water. And when the water was stirred up, only the first person in got healed. And if you look into your history, even those healings didn't last. They were temporary. God is not a God like that. He does not cause us to compete. He is not unfair like that. And so this man not only doesn't know Jesus who stood before him, he is believing and trusting in something that is untrue. He's believing in a legend. He's believing in a story tale. He's believing in something that maybe has been passed down in his family. But it is not the truth. And the truth cannot help you. He is believing in a lie. He is believing in superstition. He is believing that this angel would come and stir the water. You see, his focus is not on Jesus. He's not even looking for Jesus. He doesn't even know Jesus. His focus is on the water. It's going to bubble any minute. It was a spring. It was an intermittent spring. But his focus is watching that water day and night day and night for 38 years. His focus is looking for someone to help him. His focus is in getting there first. His focus, his belief was in the folklore and his trust was in superstition. But now he comes face to face with Jesus Christ, the Lord Almighty. I've just got to say, don't judge him. Don't judge him for not recognizing Jesus right then. I don't think I would have recognized Jesus before I became a Christian. Don't judge him for not jumping up and down saying, yes, I want to be, be healed. Because he'd become comfortable. He really, really couldn't grasp there was a possibility of healing. As we, come a, as we go out in our world, in, in our workplace, in, in our streets, don't judge people when they don't get it. When they miss the power of God, miss the presence of God. Because here he was. Jesus had made a detour to single this man out on purpose this day. He was stood before him in all his glory, in all his power, in all his presence, and yet he didn't get goosebumps. He didn't jump and realize the Son of God was before him. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I want to ask you again today, what is it that you are hoping for? Where is your trust. It's not in something that's not true, is it? It's not in something that's a supposition or a folklore. Maybe your trust is in something else physical. Maybe it's in possessions or maybe it's in people. Where is your trust today? You've got to hold on to the truth because I know this. When I say, where does my help come from? It says in Psalm 121, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And the third thing, as we recognize the attributes of God in Jesus in this story, in this encounter, we see that Jesus reigns. In other words, he is omnipresent, he is everywhere, he is always because he is God. 
Jesus breaks into this man's life. Jesus purposely goes to this place that is hidden and unwanted, and he's not worried about catching any diseases because he is God. And he makes his, a beeline for this man because he knows him fully. He knows how long he's been there. But this man doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't even know that he needs Jesus, isn't even looking for Jesus, and yet this is what happens next. Here's the power coming. Stand up. Even if life has pushed you down, stand up. There was once a little boy in school, and he was being naughty, and so his teacher told him to go and um, um, to sit down, and then he went quiet. And she said to him, are you okay? He says, yes, I'm stood up on the inside. <laughs> Sometimes we can't physically make a stand up, but in our spirit being, we can stand. <laughs> Jesus says, stand, and he I don't even know if this guy, we don't know his name, so we could put ourselves in that place. We don't know what's wrong with him, so we could put whatever ailment is our life in that place. But the Bible doesn't tell us whether he voluntary or involuntary responds to the Word of God, but the power of the Word of God just happens, and this man begins to stand, and all his withered, atrophied muscles, they click back into gear, and he stands up. It just reminds me, there are times in our life when Jesus speaks the word to us. We have to stand, we have to step out, and do the stuff we can't do because he says so. We've got to do the impossible. When he said to Peter, get out, yes, get out the boat and walk on water, Peter couldn't do it, but Jesus told him to, so he could do it. When he shouts to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth, come back from the dead, Lazarus' body just has to command to the voice of God. I'm not sure that Lazarus was alive enough to think, oh, can I hear that and can I obey that? No, but his body responded to the power and the glory of God. And there are times in our life when the word of God comes and we need to respond. And sometimes we don't really have much unction about this. I'm not sure what he did, but his body responded. And just for those moments now, his eyes are no longer on the pool. His eyes are no longer on the superstition his eyes are no longer on a hope that is a lie. For a moment, his eyes are now on Jesus Christ, where our help comes from. His next word to him, pick up your mat. He instinctively rolls up his mat, and he picks up his mat, probably better than what I'm doing. He picks up his mat because... He's now carrying the responsibility. He's now carrying that which carried him. And now there's no going back. He's not going to lie on that mat by that pool ever again. This healing is permanent and forever because God has healed him. Then the word says, walk. You know, years ago, there used to be this song, step by step. We're moving closer. Little by little, we're gaining ground. You really don't want me to sing, but that's the way it goes. 
You see, the Word spoke. And when the Word spoke, creation came into being. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Talking about Jesus. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, not death, not life on a mat, life to the full. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Instantly, the man rolled up his mat, and he walked. He began walking. He began walking, but not only was he walking, he was holding something that represented his healing, that represented the past had been conquered, that represented to the Pharisees and to the Jewish leaders that there was a miracle in the house, and this aggravated them. So when he's gone walking into the temple with his mat over his shoulder, because now his legs are fully walking, now he is fully healed, now he has been touched by the living almighty God, there is a miracle in the house, and the Pharisees do not like it. It's amazing how sometimes we can be so legally minded that we miss the power and the glory and the presence of what God does. In a moment, 38 years of pain and suffering ended immediately. Someone said to me, God takes a long time to do something suddenly. But this was the Sabbath. Jesus, did you not realize this was the Sabbath? You, you've done this on the wrong day, in the wrong place, the wrong time, to the wrong person. Don't you get it? You can't work miracles on the Sabbath. <laughs> There's a, a great fat neon light shining on this man that a miracle has happened. And all the, the legalistic people could say was, don't do that. Instead of rejoicing, they rejected this miracle. Instead of celebrating, they condemned it. And instead of believing, they were blind. I wonder, are there things in our lives that we've lost trust for, that we've, we've lost hope for, and that we've, we've even lost believing that God will bring that to pass? And we become blind, and we settle down on the mat of despondency, for 38 years. Hey, hey, God works on a Sunday. Did you know that? He works 24-7, always and forever. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he's declaring this boldly right there, right then, in this place, in front of these legalistic people. And when they question him, I love this, he says, my Father is always at work and so am I. You see, the Sabbath was made for us to rest, but God, every single day, holds us in his hands. He is holding us. He has given us life. He is enabling this world to continue. He never rests. He is 24-7. Whenever we need him, we can call on his name. We can call out to God. 
I wonder if Kev would come back and the band maybe. Because I've got some questions that we need to be asking ourselves today in this house. Jesus walked into pagan territory and he confronted a long-standing untruth, a long-standing cultural myth. And he smashed it to pieces with the truth of his word and with signs and wonders, with a miracle. And he declares, I am your true source of life. I am the true living water. I wonder, in your life today, here in this building, first of all, the God of heaven that loves you so much, he knows you. He even knew that you would come here today. And secondly, the God of heaven that loves you so much, his power is unlimited. He is the healer. And even in this place today, he is in the business of healing, healing broken hearts, healing broken relationships, healing pain, healing sickness, healing minds that are unsettled, healing fear. He is the Lord that healeth thee, the word declares. And I wonder in, in your case, in, as you sit here today and you're, you're wondering, actually there are times where I feel like I'm knocked down, where I can't get up, where my duvet day has gone longer than a day. Maybe it's, it's caused you to be discouraged Maybe something has caused you to be despondent. Maybe, maybe even depressed. There is a healer in the house today, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. This encounter was to a man that didn't know Jesus. It was to a man who didn't even believe in Jesus. It was to someone who believed in something else, who had a hope in something else. But that didn't deter the love and the compassion of Jesus. And even if you're in this place today and you don't really know him, that's not going to put him off. That's not even going to stop him wanting to heal your heart. He did it for this guy, and we don't really know if he ever came into a relationship with Jesus, but he still got healed. The healer is in the house today. The healer is in the house today. And later on today, we will celebrate as those seven, seven young people go through the baptisms of waters. I'm including you there, Natalie. And they are a testimony to the healing grace, the, the powerful love and acceptance of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to ask one question. So if you want to just close your eyes because I don't want anyone to get embarrassed right here. I'm going to ask you right now, do you know for sure, do you know this Jesus, the healer? This Jesus that is seeking you just like he was seeking this man. He's seen you. He knows you. Even when you go into places where perhaps you think he wouldn't go, he's there. Do you really know him? Would you like to know him? And if you do, I'm going to pray a prayer. And you can pray it in your heart. No one would know. Dear Lord Jesus, 
I don't really understand or know everything right now, but I've just heard a story about a man that didn't know anything either. And you touched him, you changed his life, and you healed him, and you transformed his life. And Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to do that for me right now, here in this place in Birmingham, BCC. Lord, you know everything about me. And I don't know anything about you. But I'm sorry if I've offended you. And I want you to come into my life right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's not a magic source or anything like that. But if you did pray that prayer from your heart, please make it known to someone who's brought you or someone here at this church. I think what I want to do now is if it resonates with you, if you need a healing touch from the healer today, I just want you to put your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know you're not alone in this place. Before this service began, or as the service began, we saw that there was a great family of people in this place, and we care about you, and we love you. But Jesus cares even more and loves even more, and he has the power to heal you. So keep your hands raised, and all around this place, I want you, if you are a Christian, or even if you're not, let's pray for these people right now. Reach out your hands towards those that have got their hands up. And Father God, you know everyone that is in this building today. You know those that are sick. You know those that need a healing. You know those that need you. So Father God, we ask that your power comes in this place. Holy Spirit, fill this place right now and touch people who are sick and bring healing to their bones, healing to their mind, healing, Lord, wherever they are in need. Father God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for this family here today. And Lord God, we just ask that you would continue to change our lives, continue to touch us and continue, Lord God, to draw us into your presence. Let your power and your glory be known in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And just before we end in worship, I've just got to say to all of you here, whether you feel like your life is lying on a mat or not, no one can hinder God's destiny for you. No trauma that he can't soothe. There's no sin that he can't cleanse you from. There's no heart in this place today that he can't mend. There's no pain that he can't comfort. And there is no one that he cannot restore, reinstate, refresh, or renew. Because the Lord, my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green and good pastures, not rotten mats of sickness. He leads me beside quiet waters, and he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. Who wants to worship God this morning in this house? <laughs>